0: Hi there, thanks for listening to this recording. While I don't really have a podcast that's not related to marketing automation, I thought this guest would be the right match for an audio medium rather than a written interview. In any case, today I will be talking to David Woodworth. He is the CMO and co-founder of HiLocal. HiLocal is a social app where language learners hang out. It's a sort of drop-in audio for language learners. David has grown the app from scratch to 200,000 users, so I think he has a lot of great insights for people who are looking to develop and market their own social app. We talk about David's approach to growth for the project overall, including some of his main challenges in growing the app. We also find out about some of the key learning resources that David has used and his reflections on the process overall. We also go through about four questions from the community. So this may be a feature of any future recordings I do that people from the community or anyone listening can ask questions for the guest. In any case, enjoy the recording. Hey David, how's it going?
1: Good, how's it going? Nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you. Cool. So just for those listening who haven't heard that much about you before, how would you describe your background to a general audience?
1: Yeah. So my background to a general audience, I have a very general background. I have been doing
0: my own businesses
1: for the past about seven years now. And my first business was basically events. I was an event organizer and that grew into some hosting, some basically language related events. And I opened some cafes in Seoul and I was building those up. And in 2020, we we're going to open our third as sort of like a franchise. And we were hosting very large Basically parties, events. And social distancing happened, COVID happened. So we moved it all online, made some new partnerships, working with some very talented developers. And now we're building up a an app for language learners, a community app. It's a social app that's called High Local. And my role is basically: I have many roles to get users to work on the product and to build the culture and community. So as a startup, you know, you have many roles. Those are sort of where my skill set lies, you know, building the community, growing something, making
0: making the product. Got it. So you mentioned COVID being a bit of a trigger for you starting high local. Did you have any other motivations to build an app rather than continue the events business?
1: I've always been drawn to technology and I respect developers and programmers. I'm sort of jealous that I didn't have that initial foundation or, you know, I didn't go to school for that. So I did leading up to COVID, luckily, I had been coding and and learning as much as I could about coding and programming. And I found like in our cafe, we would do these events where we would match people who are learning different languages together. And naturally, I was always drawn to like the analytics of our marketing or the marketing or the tech side of things. So then we actually developed a table matching system in the cafe. So everybody would check in, they would put their language into our system, the target language, their gender their nationality. And then we would project onto the TV every hour. We would rotate everybody in the cafe, maybe 40, 50, up to 80 people. And then they would sit at a table and they would have like a perfectly matched arrangement. So like good balance of guys and girls, different countries, different levels. And so we've been doing that and I've been responsible for that. And it was great to work on that technology part of of basically a, a brick and mortar business. And then when COVID came, it was just like, it was a natural fit. It's like, okay, let's go into developing this this app and you know make sure that the technology is is solid we have a very talented cto but getting to work with technology every day it's kind of exciting for me i like it
0: i like it a lot yeah perfect i actually remember experiencing the the product if you will of that table matching algorithm i was so impressed that a language cafe would build such a thing and i remember you were pretty hands-on with with how you're directing the development of that so that was very cool yeah thank you it was a cool phase yeah Cool. So when it came to High Local, at what point did you decide to focus on growing and scaling it?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Like a lot of the business ventures I've, I've been engaged with have all required me to learn a lot, kind of like as a first uh, attempt at it. So I read a lot of books on how to grow an app, a community app, especially. Some books that helped me, two in particular, one is the Growth Hacking book. That was very helpful. Another book is called The Cold Start Problem. That's more recent. It came out very, just a couple months ago, and it was very, very good for, for me. In growth hacking, I think it's, there's a test called the must-have test or survey. And essentially, you, you should get at least two or 300 respondents on that test. And the main question is, if High Local was deleted or disappeared tomorrow, how upset would you be? And it's a ranking from one to five. And you should have at least over 60% of people that give you the most intense, like, ah, uh, I would be really unhappy if that happened. If you can get that, that score, then according to that test, according to that book, you've reached a product market fit, which means there are enough early adopters on your pretty bad product that like it. So that's when we started to start scaling it up. That was last year in
0: about April. Got it. Thinking about the timeline from when you really started on high local to got to that product market fit? How long do you think it took or how many iterations of the product do you think it took?
1: Yeah. So it's a good question. Like how many times did we to use, you know, the startup lingo? Well, <laughs> we, we incorporated in the August before. So just a few months before that April. And then, you know, it takes some time to get your team together to get everything on course. We initially started as a one-on-one matching. And then we quickly found that group audio was just much more engaging and much better in many ways. So I guess one solid pivot, we initially wanted one-on-one calls and then you would correct each other after the call. And we found that people just want to talk to each other. They don't want to have like a heavy user interface where you get to like correct people and focus too much on the language, you just want to talk. And so we moved it to group audio and in worked on that since before March and we released it April or just after April,
0: publicly, yeah. From a practical point of view, What tools or techniques did you use to really collect that feedback and analyze it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So I would have loved to have used Google Analytics more because, you know, it's just like just ready to go out of the box. But we found that it was just not granular enough to find out like the patterns among the 10 to 100 users that we had. So we used a lot of MySQL and there's a web page called Redash. They're actually they deprecated their whole service. But it's open source and we use that as Redash. And it's basically a way that you can you can visualize your data from MySQL. So we just use a lot of SQL
0: queries to our database to find patterns. So getting into the meat of it, when it comes to tackling growth for the app, what was the approach that you used or how did you tackle this fairly large project?
1: Yeah. So one of the, one of the assets I had with, with the other founders coming into this business is we had already built communities in the past, offline communities. And we know that when you enter a cafe and you're going to meet a group of people, if that group of people are not to your liking, you're not going to come back. You have to make, and it's very like visual, like tangible. It should be a good community. When you do it on digital, it's very easy to lose that sight of that. You're just looking at numbers. So our initial approach was like, yeah, let's let's make it so people are looking forward to these little audio chat room groups that we're going to do, and we're going to make it like an event. And it'll be open at a time and we'll invite people and we'll make it really fun, really high quality, even though if it doesn't look like it's going to scale. And we did that and it did grow a little bit. One mistake we kind of made and we did have like sort of like a free budget, just the way that some of these grant programs work here in Korea. And we could only use it on on ad spend. So we built out this like you can imagine like starting a fire, you know, rubbing two sticks together and you start getting a community going, the community like each other gets bigger, but it's really hard work. It's very effortful for the founders, but it was growing. And then we started pouring some gasoline on it being the ad spent. And it did scale it up quite a bit, but I still don't know if it was worth it. It was a lot of money that we couldn't use that budget for anything else, but it scaled up, but in a way which kind of ruined the integrity of that initial community. Right. So the same people that were there, they would have thought like, you know, it used to be cool when it was just us hanging out. And now all these strangers coming in, they don't know about the, the sort of ethics or the, the etiquette of, of what this community was becoming. Right. And they just, you know, constant people coming in and then scaling problems. It did scale up in sort of a chaotic fashion, but that budget ran out after a few months as planned. And then we continued back to that more community building and it's sort of settled back into a better rhythm, and now it's growing organically as fast as when we we're doing ad spend like six seven, eight hundred dollars per day of ad spend it's growing now organically that speed because we've kind of doubled down back on that first strategy cultivate the the culture, lift up people who are sort of like i don't I don't want to say influencers but like highly engaged, care about high local, loyal to high local, lift them up and allow them to to spread that to other members. Right. So we were kind of in that phase now, just to give you the the history of how that growth happened.
0: It's interesting because it sounds like you went through a process of obviously testing and then reviewing, validating, and then reinforcing the ones that really worked. But it also sounds like you only picked one major technique or channel in the beginning. Is there a reason why you only chose one and didn't try to do multiple at the same time?
1: yeah that's that's another good question it's it's something that I was struggling with like how many channels should I go for? in my view when you're building up something in the beginning, I think finding the one channel and doubling down on that channel is the approach that i I typically take and the channel we're working on right now is is viral growth and viral g- growth I think it could have a bad name because you might think of a viral video you're just w- holding out for that viral video that's not viral growth another bad name for viral growth is just it's just what you say when you don't really have any other Channel, So yeah, we're going to grow virally. That's also not what it is. Viral growth is basically just word of mouth in a digital space. So that's how we grew our offline meetups. You make the community so good that people want to bring their friends. And so you just constantly fix all the problems that the people who keep coming back are having. And then you can see in the numbers, they just, they keep inviting their friends. And then those friends start inviting their friends at a higher level. So social apps they really depend on that viral growth strategy. Like, like WhatsApp, at some point they were getting like millions of users invited amongst each other every day. So they had reached like a real critical mass of, of viral growth. You know, any social app really depends on that. And, you know, we, I mentioned, we switched to, you know, the paid growth It's totally different. It's a different, they're not intending to join a social community. They just see an ad and they click it and they see what it's like. So the culture of the people that are coming is not really matched. It's hard for them to adapt. When you're building a social culture, it has to grow slowly in the beginning. Because every additional person you add, they can disrupt what's already there. So it's just like there's not enough capacity in that community to accept 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people every day. So, But once it gets to 10, 20, 10,0, 200,000 big, then it can accept many more
0: people at, at the, every day. In a way, it almost sounded as though it was personal preference to really focus and double down on one but had you had your time again do you think you would have tested multiple or do you think you at the same time or do you think you still would have taken the one by one approach to say hey let's let's go very hard in this direction okay that didn't really work out let's try this again that didn't work out and go that way
1: yeah yeah i think don't get me wrong i did try a lot of channels but we just found that one to be the best and sort of had a bias towards it from the experience but you know i tried lots of different stuff like To some degree, app store optimization, to another degree, you know, like SEO and blog posts, Instagram, social marketing. And they work, but I don't think, I think those channels, in my opinion, are better suited, especially social media, for for sending people to a product which is not a community, like something where you can go, oh, this is what I came for, I'm gonna buy it, I'm gonna leave. Whereas I think a community, there's no product, it's like who you're gonna meet there. How good your engagement with them is, and I think having that grow by people recommending other people who might like it, I think that's the best way
0: that we found makes sense. Community is something you mention a lot as something you focus on. Do you have a general approach on how you like to grow and take care of that community?
1: So the general approach right now is to have what we call trainers grow our community and they are incentivized to do that so one issue that people have. It's a common issue among meetups, communities, language communities is that typically an English speaker will just end up speaking English or be more of a social meetup where people have a common interest of language. And, you know, they came there to practice and also meet friends, but they ended up just making friends and not practicing. So we're trying to instill a culture which is more focused on education. And so how we've done that is we have have trainers that they can earn an incentive by hosting large events. and they're very motivated to make larger events and they're motivated to make events which are everyone gets to practice speaking and and focus on the language. And what we found is the people that attend those events end up hosting their own events. For every table that's created by a host, two times that many tables will be created by regular users. Can you see that pattern? So that's the current approach to scaling up the, the community now so it's like it's too it's out of any one of our founding members control to like instill a culture or encourage a culture so now we have sort of what we call trainers who are holding classes and they're incentivized to hold bigger classes and they're growing the community that way
0: yeah so you sort of honed in on what was the crucial member of the community and made sure that you incentivized them and encouraged them and supported them to do the best for the community exactly yeah, that's the way we're going right now. Got it. Before you also mentioned removing friction for your key users, did you find that there was a a big impact from removing friction from the app overall?
1: Yeah, it's that part I've really underestimated. Just the overall usability of an app is something that will overnight boost the entire activity of the app. So like, for example if the hitbox is on, on like a back button are too small and you have and like regular users is just clicking it and they have to tap it like two or three times again so they're not going and then they, then they click it. That friction or that frustration is enough There's like, oh, I don't want to use this app, right? And you just got to multiply that by every single screen, every single engagement with the app and that's all friction. And when you get rid of the friction, like if you do an update and the friction's reduced, overnight you get like a 5% boost in in activity, like that strong we did focus on that but you know it's really when you're scaling up you don't really know what your main service exactly looks like you kind of have to discover it and there's going to be friction because you keep adding new features and and you don't want to take too long to make the features perfect and then you realize that feature is not good so you kind of got to get like an mvp like a minimal viable feature let's call it and see if it works and it has friction. So if it works, then you reduce the friction. So that's sort of, it's like a it's kind of like a, a, a live thing that you're growing, right? And it can't be perfect all the time. And you got to add new things to it, and it creates friction, you reduce friction, you just kind of have to follow that data
0: that tells you what's working or not. Makes sense. As it was growing, did you find that there was a consistent bottleneck? Or was there one bottleneck in particular? And how did you overcome it?
1: The hosts are a bottleneck, for sure. So we have the exact numbers, like for every 100% of people who join, let's just say 90% of them finish the onboarding. There's a bottleneck right there. For every 90, so 100% of the people who finish the onboarding, let's say uh, 90% join a table. The other 10%, they see the tables they're like I don't like this and I'm out of here. Right. So that's a bottleneck. Another so the 90% of the people or the 100% of the people who join the audio room, the table, a uh, 90% of them will, will ask to be a speaker right? And then an even smaller percentage of those will decide to host a room. So these are all, it's a, it's a funnel. And yeah, we work all the time on on reducing the step in each funnel, right? And the host is, is at the bottom of that funnel, someone who's going to be the same way that, you know, a video content creator would be, you know, the, the bottom of, of YouTube's funnel. Like there's many listeners or viewers, not that many video creators. Same with our platform. There's many listeners and even speakers, but not that many people who are going to host these audio rooms. Too. And so finding those members and incentivizing
0: active rooms was what really took away that bottleneck. It's interesting that it wasn't strictly a marketing or a traditional marketing issue. It's, it was a logistical issue in a way. You mentioned reducing the friction, encouraging the, the core of the platform, which I guess is either a great sign for things <laughs> overall, which makes sense. If you think about the growth of the app overall, is there anything that you've learned about the growth process that you would do differently in hindsight?
1: I think that one's a tough one. Like in the growth process, like some features I wish I spent less time developing before I released them. And some features I feel I I wish I had spent more time because like a minimal viable product is is what people mostly talk about when they're doing a startup, and I'm going to get this out there, see if it works. And viable is in there for a reason. Sometimes you release a feature, it's just not viable, and you just wasted all that time, right? So it's really difficult to gauge what is the minimal viable, to so that you're working efficiently, right? Like you don't want to over-engineer it, and then you have spent a month. You don't want to under-engineer it, and it's useless. So a lot of missteps there. I that talk, I talked about doing all that ad spend and. I don't know if I regret that because I think it did help us get closer to our goals and it helped us secure further investment because it, it showed a lot of activity, but it did sort of destroy the embers that we were making of that community, right? So that one is something that you'd have to think about very carefully. If we weren't pressed on time, because, you know, as a company, you have investors, you need to, you need to scale. And if we weren't pressed on time, I don't think I would have done that, but things have worked out. So I, I can't say I regret that.
0: All right. Some quick fire questions from, not necessarily quick, but depending on how much time you have questions from the community, if you will. First one is, what do you think of the idea of constant experimentation? So this person is referencing what you mentioned before, which is how much you were spending on ads earlier and then yeah. scaling that. Any thoughts on a constant experimentation for growth marketing?
1: Oh, well, it's absolutely essential. You Like if you just choose one strategy and then, you know, try to do that same strategy continuously that's just not going to work. You need to constantly do A-B tests, try new things, and measure everything, see what works. That's the
0: absolute core of growth marketing. Absolutely. The next question is, a lot of people talk about success. How do you define success as it relates to the project, and how do you feel it applies to yourself? A bit of a larger question there. So success for the product?
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough one for, I mean, I guess in the most simple terms, success means like it's it's profitable, right? But I don't even think, you know, as we're ge- scaling a community, it's a big part of it is that virality, how much other users are, are bringing their friends into the app, how much time people are spending in the app. Those are really important. Our key metric, our North Star metric right now for us at this stage of of where the company is, is talk time. So how much aggregate talk time is there in the app every day? And, you know, there's many, many months or years now of talk time on a daily basis that happens. And we're always looking at that number. Daily active users is the next number because you can have a huge number of downloads, but all those people churned and, you know, they're not coming in daily. Daily active users, I think, is the most important number after that talk time for us. Yeah, as for for success in your life in general, I think... I probably something I could spend more time thinking about, but in the meantime, I do enjoy working on this. So I, I would say that's successful in that regard because it's been very challenging. And people from the outside they see that you know, like my lifestyle hasn't really changed as far as like material life changes, and it's not really what I'm focusing on, really. Like if I'm focusing on the business, and every day I spend a lot of time working on it and i enjoy that time as as long as that happens i don't i'm not really compelled to think further about what the success means
0: at this point yeah the next question is who are your role models people or companies that you use as a metric of success
1: i'm not sure about role models and metrics of you know people i follow as far as you know comparing or learning from them they could be different like cuz i figure a role model is more like who you would want to emulate yourself after right but of course there are people like well as as for other companies like i think what airbnb has done is very very interesting like i like how they have created that culture and it's very design centered and you can feel it's quite different beautiful spaces beautiful designed website and know it's probably a bit different now than when it first started and it was more like that hostile feeling like backpacking through through europe kind of feeling and it sort of started there i've really liked that but they have successfully scaled up and you know disrupted markets and not that disrupting markets is the goal but it's just sort of a measure of how, how big they were other role models i would say you can't help but admire someone like elon musk who sends his car in his own rocket into space. <laughs> just, <laughs> just absurd. But I wouldn't consider him a personal role model because I wouldn't want to do that, to be that. You know, there's just so, so much demanding on your life. Those are two role models.
0: What question or questions do you wish you were asked more often? And I would narrow this down to when it comes to developing the app, being a founder.
1: Well, I mean, this is all related to the business. So let's just say inside the business, I wish I was asked more, how can we turn this into an experiment? How can we A-B test this? How can we measure if this is going to work? I think a lot of the times it's just like getting in the weeds a little bit. And it's like, how do we get this feature out? And not whether that feature, like sometimes deleting an entire feature is the thing to do, but you don't want to do that. You just want to get it out in front of people. So I think asking that question, like, how is this actually helping us?
0: Yeah. If you stay, in a way, it's asking whether or not this particular effort makes sense in the broader picture. Right, right. Makes sense. Do you have any favorite learning sources? I know what some of them may be, but yeah, I can't yeah. hear from you.
1: <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot from Udemy. Take, I took quite a few Udemy classes and learned to
0: to program there. Start, Not sponsored by Udemy, but I know you're a <laughs> yeah, massive yeah. fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been great for me. And, you know, Audible, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. That's been very nice for me. Of course, what other learning tools? Those would be the two main ones. Yeah, I just audiobooks more for like the strategic stuff, like growth hacking or, or cold start problem. And then for actual skills, I like learning from video. I don't, I don't like learning from like
0: bullet points. If I may add one just from having talked about it before I also noticed that you you tend to heavily digest a book like you'll take one book and you'll go through it fairly relatively slow yeah. but you'll go I'm through just it a, in detail it's re- <laughs> <That's> my <laughs> excuse I'm a slow
1: reader <laughs> it just takes me a little extra time but yeah like if I do because there are so many books that say more or less the same thing you know like especially books in marketing business and self-development and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. But when you do find like that book that is like full of actionable things, it's like you don't want the book to end because it just keeps giving so much value. Those books, I like, I really try to get as much out as I can.
0: I also noticed that you, you actively test a lot of the ideas that you read in real life, which I haven't seen that much of.
1: Yeah, from those particular books, I do try as much as I can.
0: Yeah. Second last question before we go, what's next for High Local?
1: Yeah, so next for iLocal is now that the community is scaling up. So the next thing is to get that community to a really big scale. It's it's about, you know, getting up to hundreds of thousands of daily active users is where I want to be. But as we're scaling up is is to have some ways of recommending content to content and language partners to each other. So some machine learning from a lot of the data inputs that are happening in the app all the time. So we have content in the app, which is like things to talk about, topic links to, to materials. And depending on what language learner is viewing that content and engaging with that content, we can recommend it to other people. So I think like you can use collaborative filtering or other form like hybrid machine learning, collaborative filtering methods to, to really recommend stuff for for learners. So that's, that'll come up next. But I think the first thing that has to be in place
0: is a ton of users who really are loyal to it. So that's that's first. Fantastic. As a user of the app, not a super heavy user, but a user of the app, I can say I'm actually looking forward to that in the near future. That'd be very cool. Just before we go, what's the best place for people to connect?
1: I would say the best place is LinkedIn. David Woodworth, you can find me that way.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, David. And have a good rest of the day.
1: Thank you, Ben.